Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Well, this morning we are continuing a sermon series we started last week uh, on the book of Revelation. Uh, We've called this series an Advent Imagination. Advent is the time in the Christian year before Christmas, and it's a time when we remember that the Christian faith is fundamentally a faith of waiting. If you look at so many of Jesus' parables, they have to do with waiting. We certainly have received a great deal already in our Christian life, if we look at the work of Jesus on the cross and what he's done for us. But we also wait for the fullness of our redemption. We haven't yet received all that were promised from the pages of the Old Testament on through the New. Uh, All that were promised that Christ will do for us, for our communities, and for our world. We wait with expectation. Uh, In light of Jesus' first coming, waiting for his return uh, and our union with him in fullness. And so, This morning, we are in Revelation chapter 5. If you are willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Our reading today is Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals." And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Thanks, Kate. You can be seated. This truly is, to my mind, perhaps the most beautiful chapter in all of the Bible. This vision uh, of the Lamb uh, on the throne and the worship of all creation. It's one of those passages uh, that the preacher should probably just say amen and, uh, and not risk screwing it up by talking about it too much. Uh, because it is truly a beautiful story. One that draws us, if we understand its beauty, if we understand what's going on in this story, uh, it's a story that's a vision that draws us into uh, the consummation of the world's story and the praise of all of creation. It shows us uh, that the Jesus that we welcome at Christmas uh, in the manger uh, is indeed the king of the entire universe, the king of all creation. It's truly a beautiful, beautiful story. But before the beauty, uh, and if we're going to understand the beauty, we have to pause and notice that before we get into the beauty of the vision, there's actually a, a fairly ugly moment in this scene. Before the beauty, there's weeping. We're told that John, uh, the one who receives this vision, wept loudly right there in the midst of the throne room of heaven, this, this beautiful place, this beautiful scene, uh, there is a man weeping loudly. This isn't, uh, the word used here isn't for he was crying or he had the sniffles. Um, this is an adult Middle Eastern man mourning. You may have seen uh, videos of what that looks like culturally, the wail, the, the, the deep crying of adult men in that culture. But this is John wailing in the midst of heaven as his heart is breaking. Why? Why is John weeping uh, so loudly and uncontrollably in what ought to be a scene of perfection and peace? Because nobody uh, can be found to open a scroll. Now, this may not in and of itself seem like all that much of a tragedy to you, uh, but the heaven is looking, is, anyone, is there anyone who can be found who's worthy to open the scroll that sits by the throne of God? But what is this scroll? The scroll represents really all of human history. It represents all of God's plan for the world. His redemptive plan for his world that began in Genesis, that's been awaiting a conclusion waiting some type of summation, redemption, and joy. It's that entire story, the entire story of God's work and God's world. And it seems in this moment uh, that this story is stuck, that it can't be opened, that nothing more can come. And so John weeps because it looks to him in this moment like sorrow will have the last word in this world. It looks like his own sorrows, your sorrows, and my sorrows uh, will not find some type of meaningful and redemptive conclusion. And John was a man who knew what it was to weep. He knew what sorrow was. We've said that he was writing uh, this book, this vision, uh, to a group of churches who were suffering. A group of churches who were actively being persecuted by the most powerful empire in the world, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen, the Roman Empire, was literally killing uh, many of this fledgling little Christian church 
uh, particularly in the, the, the churches he's writing to are in the area of what's now Turkey, occupied by Rome. And so he's writing to a group of people who are literally dying and whose life is, uh, is at threat. He's writing as a man, remember this is John, the disciple of Jesus, uh, who's often described as the disciple Jesus loved. He had seen his savior, his, his rabbi, his king crucified. Not only that, but by the time he writes this book, he's the last surviving disciple. So he had not only seen his savior crucified, he had also seen his 11 closest friends and in, in partners in mission crucified, stoned, burned, skinned alive. And now he was there exiled on an island prison in the middle of the ocean, the last of the disciples. Probably, if he's honest, wondering, is this, is this all end with me? Right? The church is being persecuted, all the other disciples are dead, and I'm here by myself waiting to die. And so he weeps. He weeps gutturally, he weeps out loud, he weeps uh, in the sense that there is no hope to all of his sorrow. Have you ever wept like that? Have you ever wept that kind of gut-level, uncontrollable wail? There's only a few things in human life that bring us to that kind of weeping. We weep uh, at the graveside or at the deathbed of those we love in that kind of way. We weep over abuse. We weep over betrayal. Uh, we weep over the sense of abandonment. Uh, that some suffer in this life. But those moments of deep weeping that we've all tasted, that's what's at stake in this story. That's what's at stake in this question, can anyone be found? Can anyone be found who will bring John's story and your story and my story to something more deep and lasting, joyful and redemptive than simple sorrow? You know, we have one of two choices in this life. Uh, this world, this life that we, that we live in is either written by a good author and it's moving towards something good and joyful or it's meaningless and empty and headed basically nowhere. Right, there's this beautiful scene. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes uh, in literature. It's at the very end of Return of the King, the last of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books. Um, they're long. Maybe you've seen the movie if you haven't been able to suffer through the books, but they're great. You should read them. Um, there's this moment at the end where Sam uh, meets Gandalf again, convinced that Gandalf was dead. And he says to him, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, and I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What is happening to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue and be made joyful again? That was Tolkien's picture of where the world was headed, that it had a good author telling a redemptive story that would end in joy. William Shakespeare penned the famous words that he put on the lips of his uh, tragic character, Macbeth, when he said that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. And friends, these are the two choices. Either we're headed somewhere good, where every sorrow, every tear shed is a part of some larger story written by a good author that's moving towards joy, or all of our sorrows, all of our heartbreak, all of our loss is just like the scene of a car accident. It's just broken pieces everywhere without any rhyme or reason, a mess. And so when John weeps, uh, it's because he's starting to, it's starting to dawn on him that it's likely the latter, 
that if the scroll can't be opened, then this world truly is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, no hope, no joy, no consolation. And so John, uh, with the rest of the world, weeps. Weeps because there's no one who can open the scroll. It's worth asking why. Why does the scroll, the story of God's plan for the redemption of the world, why does it sit unopened right next to him? Right? You figure he's God the Father. Why can't God the Father just reach over? We're told it's right at his right hand. Why can't he open the scroll himself? Why can't he do the work of his redemption of the world on his own? Because you see, from the very beginning, from the very first pages of Genesis, God has written a story that puts humanity in a key role. From Adam and Eve onward, he's cast men and women in a role in his story that's not just on the margins, but that's required to bring the story to a happy conclusion. You see, Adam and Eve were created uh, to live in fellowship with God, to live righteously before him, and then to extend his reign over all the earth to learn from him what a good life was, to learn from him what he wanted for his world, and then to work that plan out in their life, in their relationships, in their callings, that the story God wrote uh, had a huge role for faithful humanity. But instead, if you know the story uh, from Genesis on, uh, the story of humanity is not the story of humanity's righteousness and our obedience. It's the story of our rebellion. It's the story of our sin. It's the story of our turning away from God and making a mess of his world. And so when heaven asks, is there anyone worthy to break the seal and to open the scrolls? It's the question, is there one good person? Is there one righteous man or woman who's able to bring God's plan for humanity towards fruition? Is there anyone who's able to play the part that Adam and Eve were designed and cast to play? Is there anyone who can play the part that all of Israel's kings were called to play? Is there anyone worthy? And when no one can be found, John weeps. Until in verse 5, one of the elders says to him, weep no more. Weep no more. This isn't uh, telling John to suck it up. It's not him telling the angel telling John, hey, John, it's really not all that bad. It's going to be fine. Stop crying. Be a big boy. No, look what he says. Weep no more. Not because your tears aren't appropriate. Not because tears aren't warrant, warranted. Not because there's not life worth weeping over. But weep no more because you, your eyes need to be cleared of your tears so that you can see this vision. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. These are the royal names of Israel's king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the powerful lion. The one who came in David's line has conquered, has triumphed, and is able uh, to, to play the role and to open the scroll. And then I love this. John is told to look for a lion. He's told, open your eyes and look and behold the lion of Judah, the conquering powerful lion. He opens his eyes looking for a lion and what does he see? I saw a lamb standing 
as though it had been slain. He gets this vision of Jesus. Looking for a lion, he finds a slain lamb. And friends, in this picture is absolutely everything you need to know about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, about why we can have hope for our life and for this world. It's because the lion, the powerful lion, the expected and long-awaited king, is the lamb, is the slain, broken, humble, compassionate lamb. You know, in the ancient world, they knew about lion-like power. John knew what it was to have a king who claimed strength and power and lion-like capacity. Right? We said already that he lived in the midst of a church uh, that was being crushed by lion-like power, uh, by, the, by the most powerful rulers the world had ever seen, the Caesars of Rome. Right? He knew what it was to have an empire claiming lion-like power. To, and of course, like all powerful kings, they promised that they would use their power for good, that they would use their lion-like strength to bring peace and prosperity for all the lands that they conquered. Right, The ancient world knew what power was. John uh, was exiled to this island prison by imperial power. He'd seen his Savior crucified by imperial power. They knew the empty promises of those who claimed to be lions. Revelation is probably one of the most subversive books in the entire Bible. It has more critiques of imperial power. Really, the entire book is. It says Rome believes itself to be a lion, but look, it's really a beast. Rome believes itself to be a heavenly city, but it's just another Babylon, just another wayward and adulterous city. It shows us that real power, real strength, in order for it to be trusted, has to be something other than sheer unadulterated power. There is only one powerful one who can be trusted to wield his power for good and not for just himself. It's the lion who's also a slain lamb. The picture here would have called to mind for John's readers, of course, the sacrificial lambs that they saw uh, slaughtered in Israel's temple uh, as a sacrifice before God, lamb after lamb, year after year. It also would have called to mind for them the great promise uh, hinted at in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This lamb uh, that he sees here was slain, not because of his own transgressions, not because of his own sins, but on account of the sins of the entire world. The description of the lamb is, is a beautiful one. You'll notice that he says that he was seen standing as though it had been slain. Right? This isn't the image of a dead lamb. The lamb is standing. Uh, the lamb is alive. But it looks unmistakably as though it has been already slain. Not to be overly graphic, but this is, this is the image of a lamb with its throat slit, its wool-stained blood red, and yet alive, should be dead, 
and yet standing there at the throne, alive and well. This lamb, this living slain lamb, is Jesus. Uh, the worthy one, the lion of Judah, the lamb given for us. And he alone has the power to, draw, to dry John's tears and to stop his weeping. Not only, of course, John's tears, but the tears of the entire world. By the end of the book of Revelation, we're told that in the world of the Lamb, there is no more sorrow or weeping or mourning or crying. That the hand of Jesus dries every tear from every eye in the new heavens and the new earth. That this lion, slain lamb in the throne has the power to stop all of the sadness and tragedy of this world. If you want to know why, you can know that your sorrows don't have the last word in this life. That your heartbreak, that your weeping, that your sin, that your loss, that your addiction doesn't have the power to ultimately write the last word of your story. It's because in the very throne room of heaven, there stands a slain lamb. One who came, overcame sin and death itself. This is a scene, that the scene that we're allowed to look in on here is the scene of Jesus's ascension, right? The resurrected lamb of God ascending to the throne of God, dead, resurrected, and alive again. Think about this moment. Think about this in the throne room of heaven, a place that by all accounts, if there's any place in all of heaven and earth that ought to have been free from suffering, that ought to have been free from weeping and wailing, that ought to have been free of wounds and bleeding, it was this place, this, this jewel-colored throne room that we saw a vision of last week. Of all places, this ought to be the place untouched by sin and suffering. And yet into that place goes the Lamb of God, slain, broken and bleeding. Right? He doesn't go to the throne with all of his wounds healed, no longer looking as though he'd suffered. Right? If you could see Jesus at the, at the right hand of God, you would still see his scars. You would see his pierced hands. You would see his pierced side. You'd see the crown of thorns, and, the, and you'd see his wounds. The reason we can know that our stories find a happy and joyful ending is because Jesus bore our sorrows, bore our sin. Only Christianity offers a God who not only wishes us well or can help us in the midst of a world torn by evil and suffering, but a God who bears it in his own body, a God who entered into it and became himself subject to the brokenness of this world. So that today, at the right hand of God, there is a lamb, a live and living lamb, who has been slain. Resurrection life wins. And so when you're weeping, uh, when you're sorrowful, when it seems like it's going to overwhelm you, remember that Jesus is your lion. That Jesus is the same lion who is stronger than your sin, more powerful than your sorrows, this is the Jesus who calmed storms. This is the Jesus who healed diseases. This is the Jesus that raised the dead. This is the Jesus that walked on water. This is the Jesus that overcame the dead, that walked out of the grave. This is a strong and roaring lion.
And when you weep and you feel alone, and you feel like there is no one who knows you and who can comfort you, remember that Jesus is not only a lion, but he's also your compassionate lamb. He's the same Jesus who dries your tears, who welcomed the little children to come to him, who is known by gentleness and compassion, the one who welcomed sinners, the one who wept by the grave of his friend, the one who comforted a grieving, grieving father and gave him his daughter back, ultimately the one who laid down his life for you, your strong and conquering lion, your gentle and compassionate and self-giving lamb. Jesus is both of these to you, ever and always. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, was one of the foremost experts. She was a psychiatrist, um, pioneered the theory of the stages of grief, uh, was an expert on death. And she wrote this, the most beautiful people are the ones who have known defeat, who have known suffering, who have known struggle and known loss and have found their way out of those depths. The most beautiful people are the ones who've known defeat and have known suffering and have known struggle and known loss and have found their way out of those depths. I love that quote. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, but of course, from the perspective of the gospel, uh, we can agree with so much of that, but just would, would offer one challenge, is that it's not up to any of us to find our way out of those depths. Right? There is one who came for us in the midst of those depths and who can make us beautiful on the other side of death. Right? Jesus came out on the other side of death and shows that life has the final word over death. He came out of the over, other side of sorrow and showed that joy triumphs over sorrow. He came out righteous and shows that righteousness triumphs over sin. Friends, we can be those beautiful people who know defeat, who know sorrow, who know suffering, who even know death, and are made beautiful because there's a slain lamb standing beautiful at the right hand of God. And he is the lamb who is worthy to open the scrolls and to bring God's history, God's story, our story through to a beautiful and redemptive conclusion. And when you see this Jesus, you'll join in this song. Look at verse 13. The way John describes it, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. If you're taking notes at home, that is just about everything, right? All of the things, all of the things on earth, all of the things on the sea, all of the things under the sea. This is the human beings. This is the squirrels and the dogs and the beetles and the whales and the coyotes. This is, uh, this is everything lending their voice and with one voice saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. When you see Jesus as he is, the roaring lion and the slain lamb, you lend your voice to the song that all of creation will sing all of eternity. Worthy is the lamb of all worship and all honor. Will you lend your voice to the song that the whole world was created and redeemed to sing? Because, friends, we're called to do more than simply lend our voice to be one of many. You see, we're called. We said that humanity had a key role to play in this redemptive story. We're called not only to lend our voices, but actually to begin to conduct the symphony 
of creation's praise to God. Listen uh, to what uh, is sung over the Lamb, starting in verse 9. They sang a new song. I love this. The angels that have spent all eternity praising, now they have a new song because they've seen something new. The slain Lamb ascending the throne. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. From unworthy to a kingdom of priests to our God, who will reign on this earth with their king. We have come up in the world, thanks to the Lamb. From unworthy of playing a meaningful role in the story, to priests and kings, a kingdom of priests of our God with a calling to draw all of creation into the praise and worship of the Lamb. He's purchased for God a people of every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, we, we long for certain things as a church, don't we? We've talked a lot as a church about our longing to be a cross-cultural body of faith. We've talked about our desire for racial and cultural and economic reconciliation and peace. And you know what this vision tells us? This vision tells us that in this life you will taste it and you should pursue it and it is good. We have permission and a calling to pursue on earth what our destiny in heaven will be. Amen? But you will also encounter frustrations in that pursuit on earth. Right? Prejudice will persist. In the hearts, even of those of us who work the hardest against it you, it, you will be rooting out prejudice from your heart until the day you die. We will be hurting one another. We will be struggling to get this right together until one day around the throne of the, the, throne of the Lamb, people from every tribe, every language, every culture, every nation will lift up their voices in every language, singing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the fulfillment of the reconciliation of all things, of all people around the Lamb of God. And we pursue it. We're called to pursue it in this life. I'll close with a story uh, that I'm reminded of, of two German missionaries uh, of the Moravian tradition. Their names were Johann Leonard Dober and David Nitschmann. It will not surprise you that they were German uh, with names like that. In 1732, they felt the call of God to go and minister uh, to a group of enslaved West Africans in the islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix. This is the West Indies. Uh, they had heard in Germany uh, of a British plantation owner who owned the entire island and had uh, under his ownership uh, 3,000 enslaved Africans. He himself uh, was an avowed atheist, and he vowed that no one was welcome to preach the gospel on this island. That he would, he would welcome no missionaries, they would house, house no churches, that in neither his house nor the households of his slaves would religion be permitted. And these two men were gripped by the tragedy, not only of slavery and these, these 3,000 men, women, and children living in this condition, uh, but also the thought of them living and dying in that, in that condition without the opportunity uh, to hear the good news. And so they were determined to go from Germany uh, to the West Indies as missionaries. When they were told uh, that they would not be allowed to go, 
they struck a deal uh, with the slave owner where they sold themselves into slavery. They basically sold themselves to him to go uh, for the privileges they sought of going and living on his plantation as his slaves in order to share their lives and to join in the situation and the suffering of those who live there without hope. And the story goes that as their ship pulled away from the docks of Germany, as they said goodbye to their loved ones, perhaps many assumed this would be for the last time, as they said their goodbyes and as their loved ones waved uh, to them, as the, as the gap between the dock and the ship widened, they could be heard yelling from the deck of the ship, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That was their motivation for enter, giving up their freedom, entering into almost certain death. And it is the condition, it is the motivation for every bit of our Christian lives. All of our love, all of our service, all of our sharing of the gospel is entirely and only so that the lamb who was slain might receive the reward for his suffering because he is worthy of it. He's worthy not only of our worship, he's not worthy not only of all that we can give, but he's ultimately worthy of the worship of the entire world every created thing. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, words can scarcely do justice to who you are and what you've done and what you will return to complete. Lord Jesus, we confess that our vision of you is often so small. Lord, we can be prone to thinking that you are here primarily to help us with our problems, to forgive us of our guilt, but Lord, we bow before you, saying that yes, Lord, you are the one who forgives our guilt and heals our shame, but you are so much more. You are the, the lion and the lamb who will ultimately take away the sins of the world. You are the one whose praise will cover this world as the waters cover the sea. You are the one who will receive the worship of all of creation. Lord Jesus, each one of us is unworthy. We feel our unworthiness in our bones. We're unable to save ourselves, let alone uh, the entire world. But Lord, we thank you that you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals and to bring uh, this story to its conclusion to dry the tears of the world, to calm our troubled hearts, and to help us find our place around your throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at Christchurchintown.org.